the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the capital, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving of the over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. This is the word of the Lord. Before you uh, are seated, turn around and tell someone hello. Introduce yourself to them real quickly. <laughs> Alrighty, you can go ahead and be seated. Uh, keep your Bibles open, if you will, and uh, we'll, we're going to continue on in this series called Bold and Babylon uh, as we look in Daniel 8. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through a little bit. I'm not going to be able to read all of this. We're going to be reading passages there. I want to say thank you to Elle for reading uh, that passage. I also want to say thank you to the students sitting up front. I asked them on Wednesday night. I love seeing students up front. Uh, worshiping with us and those things. So uh, they, they bring a lot of energy. Uh, if you happen to be, thank you. I appreciate you guys making room. Howard, you can see there's some seats here as people uh, are coming in. Uh, this vision kind of coming along the lines of chapter seven, uh, this vision that Daniel sees, again, you hear, I'm jumping right on in today, all right? Because I got some things I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, this vision that Daniel sees is much like what he saw in chapter 7. 
There's animals, there's beasts, there's horns. You know, you hear me say often, if you've been around here for a while, when you see words repeated, you want to kind of take notice. And in seven and eight, he said, you see the word I saw or saw, a saw, saw, uh, things that he looked at, he beheld. You also, in chapter eight, you see the word, there's a lot of horns in this chapter, all right? There's all kinds of horns. And there were horns in the last chapter. One of the things that you notice, and I'm going to point this out to you. El did not read this. It's at the end of chapter 8. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, Daniel writes, he says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Okay, now listen, this kind of corresponds back to chapter 13. I mean, excuse me, back to uh, chapter 7, verse 15, verse 28. You remember in chapter 7, he saw this vision and it like, it, it did something to him. It made the anxiety level go up. It, uh, it, it caused him to be anxious. He was nervous, says he, he couldn't sleep at night. Well, listen, this, here we are again. It's almost like, man, he had that. Have you had a situation before where you thought that roadside stand that was selling ceviche sandwiches in the middle of July was a good idea? (laughs) And in the middle of the night, you woke up going, ugh, just the sour stomach. Well, this is kind of where he is right now. See, he saw something in this dream, and it like soured him. And he did not know what to do. He didn't understand it. I mean, well, really, let me rephrase that. He does understand it because you're going to see in just a moment that uh, one comes and tells him. But yet, even in the midst of knowing exactly where he was and what he was doing, it, it just didn't set right with him. Now, quickly, what I want to make sure that you catch today is that there are two visions there's a lot of horns, and they're not all the same, all right? And, and if you've got a piece of paper and a pen, I want you to take down some things today, all right? And I want to be really careful. I'm going to move quickly, and then we're going to get to some points of application. And, and if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful listening, you may go, this is, just a, is this just a history lesson that I'm hearing today? It's not, because what I want you to see this morning What I want you to see in the next little bit that we have is that God's word is true, it's right, and it will always come to pass. It will always come to pass. The vision that Daniel saw in chapter 7 had very specific uh, application to the day in which Daniel lived, but it also had application to the day in which we live and beyond, speaking to the end of days, the end of time. The vision that Daniel sees in chapter 8 that the Lord God gives him, specifically, I believe, and many conservative commentators and theologians believe, had its fulfillment in the day of Daniel and the days just after Daniel, just after Daniel. So chapter 8 Chapter 8 vision was fulfilled. And you may be going, well, I mean, if it's been fulfilled, what does does it have to do with us today? Well, I mean, that's a really good question. It has a lot to do with us today. But I want us to kind of begin to understand what it is that that he saw and what it is that he experienced. You see, he says at the very beginning of this that it's two years after chapter 7. 
So two years later, he has another vision. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, Daniel says that he sees a ram with two horns. He says that one of those horns has grown to be higher and larger and stronger, and that this ram comes from the east, and it's charging west, it's charging to the north, it's charging to the south, that this ram is, it's making ground, and that its kingdom was strong. But verse 5 tells us, Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that suddenly there was a male goat that appears coming from the west. This ram was coming from the east. This one's coming from the west, headed to the east. It's going north. It's going south. And it's so fast that it says that it doesn't appear that its feet are even touching the ground. Now, in case you're not certain about this, rams and goats are different. They're, they're not alike. Rams are wild. Rams are usually stronger. Rams are very, very forceful. You get hit by a ram. You, you've ever heard the term a battering ram? You get hit by a ram, you, you, it, it can harm you, could kill you. I love the National Geographic shows, the history ones, where you see the rams that are in, uh, in the wild and they're like locking horns and they're just, hit. I mean, it's like extreme power. Well, this tells us also that there's a goat. Now, goats are very different. Some of you are goat farmers. You've been around that before. You've seen those. Goats are typically docile, right? I mean, they're, they're domesticated. In fact, this, most goats uh, in that day would have been, or a lot of them would have been do- domesticated, much like today, because they would have been used for goat's milk. They would have been used for their hides, making coverings. Uh, and, and the Scripture tells us that this goat coming out of the West headed east, it has one horn coming out. Sounds like a unicorn to me. It says that it's running across, it's moving so fast, it doesn't appear that its feet are hitting the ground, that it hits the ram and it kills the ram. It kills the ram. In fact, it says that it, it grew up really quick and that it hit the ram and that eventually the horn, that great horn broke. And when that great horn broke, it says that four other horns came up in its place. And one of those horns talks about a little horn. This is not the same little horn as the last week's little horn. Last week's little horn dealt with the days to come. This little horn dealt with the, the soon coming days about 300 years later. It says that this one, one of those horns, the, a little horn, is going to grow up to be a great horn. And it's, going to be, and it's going to represent a kingdom. A kingdom with a man, the scripture says, who has a bold face. And that this kingdom is going to grow so great that it will then turn and it will attack the glorious land. Daniel, once again, look at verse 15. Once again, Daniel is not sure about this dream, this vision. He's going, I don't, uh, what, what is this? And at this point, there are folks of the heavenly host and they hear a voice. Daniel hears a voice from someone he can't see saying, Gabriel, explain this vision to him. This is the same Gabriel, the messenger of God that God sent to Mary to explain that she was going to be great. She was great with child. So he sends Gabriel. Now listen, uh, if you're a little confused, that's all right. Daniel was too. Daniel wasn't certain. Uh, Most, uh, let's see the best way to put this, secular theologians, secular uh, theorists, those who are into 
uh, literary criticism who read the Bible as a as a, just a literary book, will tell you that there's no way that this could have been written when it was written. It was probably, ha- in fact, they, they would say it had to have been written after the events that I'm about to describe to you because it has been described with such detail and accuracy that they would say there's no way that could have been written prior to it happening. But I want you to know, and I want to continue to tell you this, the Word of God is true. What he says will happen. We can stand on it today when you are questioning the days and times in which you're living in. Days and times that you may be looking around going, man, my stomach is souring by what I see on television, what I hear, what I, what I walk around. It's making me sick. I, I, please hear me. You can trust the word of God. And you can stand on what it says, what the Lord God says, and what will be coming. It will happen. It will happen. And that's what I want us to begin to catch today. Under King Cyrus, remember it says that that Belshazzar, this was in the third year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was a part of the Babylonian Empire. And you'll remember back in chapter 5 that he he threw a party. He's drinking out of the holy cups from the temple. And that night, the Medes and the Persians come in and they take over. That very night, they come in and take over. Well, the Medes and the Persians, their, their symbol of the day was a ram. Their symbol was a ram. And the two horns of the ram that this vision talked about that Elle read, thank you very much, that she read about, it says that one of them grew up stronger. The Medes portion, they didn't reign for very long. The Persians were the ones who were the strongest and lived the longest and had the longest rule. In fact, one of the ways that we even, I mean, it's, it's not ironic. Remember, this was happening prior to it happening. He, the, he saw the vision prior to it happening. Uh, the the Persian kings, when they would go to battle, their helmets, can you guess what they look like? Rams. They had two horns of rams that they would wear. So verse 21, verse 21 tells us there was a great goat that was going to come. And this goat, Gabriel says, it represents the Greeks. It says that it was moving so fast, had one horn. Uh, we know from history truth. We know from history that the great empire that came and overtook the Persians were the Greeks. Alexander the Great, who came to rule at the age of 20 when his father died, two years later, he leaves Greece with about 35 to 40,000 foot soldiers and 5,000 horsemen. His army was small but powerful, which enabled him to be able to move across from the west to the east and overtake the Persians. He did it with such speed that no one, I mean, listen, he was 22 when he left Greece. He ended up dying at the age of 32. It grew up fast. It was strong, but eventually he died. And in his place, guess what came about? Four kings. The country of Greece was ruled by four different kings. Two of those became much, much stronger. One of those little horns grew to be really, really strong. And he became what was known as the king Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV, who was known as Epiphanes. 
you may read about him in history as Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Epiphanes is a title that he gave himself, and Epiphanes means this. It means God manifest. We might say God incarnate, that he himself was God. He himself, he had coins minted that were spread everywhere. He continued what Alexander said, what Alexander did. As Alexander ruled, he began to make the Greek language, the Greek culture, the Greek, the Greek way of life to be dominant everywhere. He, Antiochus the fourth, Epiphanes, look at verses 10 through 12. Uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. It, it, this chapter 10, excuse me, verses 10 through 12, describe the persecution that most theologians, conservative theologians will tell you, uh, describes what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes, that he brought persecution to the people. He overthrew the prince of hosts, the high priest. He made Judaism illegal. He went in. He stopped all circumcision. He stopped all sacrifices. He went in, and it talks about that desecration that would happen, that that, uh, that um, uh, horrible thing that would go on within the temple. You know what the horrible thing was? Epiphanes, he offered swine on the altar to be sacrificed. He set up Zeus in the temple and said Zeus will be the one now to be worshipped. This is what began to happen. He slaughtered thousands upon thousands of men and women. Thousands upon thousands of babies. Most historians will tell you that this is one of the very first holocaust of the Jews that ever began to happen. And why does this matter so much? Well, remember, Daniel is seeing it all take place in a vision long before it ever happened. Why was his, sum, his stomach soured? Because Daniel is in his 80s, and he is still under a kingdom and a rule that hasn't been overthrown yet, and he's realizing, wait a minute, this means my people are going to go back one day. There's going to be a temple that's going to come back again, and yet it's now going to be destroyed again. This is what Daniel is experiencing and what Daniel is seeing. This is what would begin to happen 300 years later, only 300 years later, would begin to happen. And one of the hosts, the scripture tells us, right around verse 13, I believe it is, one of the, the host begins to look over and say, how long is this going to happen? And another of the hosts says, it's going to happen for 2,300 evenings and mornings. For 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, quickly, some scholars, most scholars would say that the sacrifice in the Jewish system was a one-time sacrifice each day. It was once a day, but they divided it in two. And they would have it in the evening, and they would sacrifice the other part in the morning, or in the morning and in the evening. Now, depending on how you would say and interpret that 2300, 2300, if you take it as actual days, do you know how long that is? Six years. Do you know how long Antiochus IV reigned? Six years. 
Some would take this and say that that evening and morning, when you divide it, it would total out to three years. Do you know how long the desecration of the temple when he came in to overtake and he ruled and set up his reign of destruction within the temple lasted? Exactly three years. This isn't just biblical history. This is God's history. This is what's happened in history. Listen, the word of the Lord is true. And wherever you are today, I, I, I draw this back to you each and every week. I feel like, I told Amy one, not long ago, I said, I feel like I say the same things over and over again. But I can't help but bring it back to you that no matter where you are, I look around in here and there are some of you who are facing some extreme medical situations. You're not certain what next year is going to hold for your life. Do you realize that Daniel never left Babylon? Some of you are facing uh, financial situations. I look around in here and I know that there are family situations. Yet in the middle of where Daniel was, where he lived, he was able to stand strong. And I want you to hold on to this because we're going to see this in just a few moments. He was able to stand strong and know that God is on his throne. God was giving him a picture. God had always been faithful and that his word is true. His word is true. At the end of three years, there was a man named Judas Maccabees. Maybe some of you have heard of the Maccabean revolt. Judas Maccabees said, I can take no more. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he and his brothers go in and they, they lead a revolt. And Antiochus, Epiphanes, and the Seleucids, for those of you who are historians, were drawn out and left and had to flee. And the temple then was rededicated, cleansed and rededicated. And during that period of time of the revolt, when they were, uh, when they were driving them away, when they were uh, beginning the point of the, the cleansing and the rededication, the, there was a menorah and they had enough oil for one night for that oil, to, for that light to be lit. And they prayed, God, would you make it last? And it lasted into the second night. They prayed, Lord, would you make this oil that we're, we don't know how it's going to keep the, 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 the candle burning, the, the flame burning. It was for three nights. You know how long that stayed lit? Eight nights. And the rededication in Hebrew translates to Hanukkah. It doesn't sound exactly like that. I don't have the Hebrew accent. But it's Hanukkah where they now celebrate the cleansing of the temple, of which Jesus himself would have partaken in. He would have celebrated that. You say, Kyle, great history lesson. Okay, listen, could we not have watched that on YouTube and seen that? <laughs> well, that you wouldn't get this part on YouTube, at least until tomorrow. There's four real quick application points that I want to make sure that you get, okay? The first one is this, and then we're going to move quickly. No, number one is this, is that the wicked never win. We have to remember the wicked never win. It seems like the wicked always wins, doesn't it? It seems like the wicked always rise and God's people always put down. And in many instances, I want you to know that will look to be true. 
Listen, it probably seemed that way when Jesus was on the cross and his followers, when no one was there except John. And they thought, this is not how it was supposed to end. Uh, He was not supposed to die this way. Yet you know what we know from Scripture is that God himself ordained and planned for that to happen so that you and I, our sin might be paid for, so that you and I might have a life eternal. We know that today we wouldn't be sitting here had Jesus not died, been buried, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Yet it would have seemed that the wicked would always win. Paul, can you imagine Paul sitting in prison all those times? All the times that Paul would have been beaten, stoned, left for dead on the side of the road as he, as he writes. It, it, it would seem, it would seem like they're winning. And for us, it may look around and think, man, what, what is going on? But I want you to hear this. And this is so difficult for many people that nothing comes before you and me Nothing comes before us that doesn't already pass by his hand. And he ordains. He doesn't cause evil, but he ordains and allows it to pass by us for his good and glorious pleasure and, 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 and his plan. How does that work? I wish I could tell you. I wish I knew how that worked. But we're so close to the situation that if we could zoom back and be able to see from where God is, we would go, oh, I see Father, I I now see what you're doing. What we know is that all things work for good to those who are called according to his purposes. Those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So we trust and we know. Listen, even though it looks like the wicked are prevailing, we know that God, God has ordained and he is on his throne. Lamentations chapter 3. Look at Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Write that down. Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Say this. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Who has spoken it? And it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So where you are today, this may not feel wonderful, but I need you to know the Lord knows where you are. He sees you. He is trustworthy. Listen, I can't promise you that where you are is going to end the way that you and I want it to end, but he is still good even though. He is good. So I ask you, don't fret don't run around. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, you know what you know? That God is on his throne. There's no need to fret. There's no need to worry. He is reigning. So when you look around and you see evil, when you see confusion and you see corruption and you're going, Lord, won't you? He is. He is. He is. Number two, the strategy of the wicked is still the same. I need you to know that. The strategy of the wicked is still the same. Do you know what Antiochus IV, it's hard for me to call him Epiphanes because he is not God manifest. You know what Antiochus IV tried to do? He, he eradicated the sacrificial system. Did you realize that today the enemy still wants to eradicate the sacrifice that, that Jesus paid and that he laid down? 
You see, Antiochus knew that if we could wipe away the sacrificial system, there we'll forget about sin, that we will have a redefinition of what sin is, that we'll be able then to turn and we'll make sacrifices to the God of the day, his God. Listen, this is still no different than what the enemy, Satan himself, wants to do. He wants us to forget about the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross, that there is a righteous and holy God who demanded because of sin that there be a penalty. And I I, want to make sure that you understand if you do not follow Christ, part of his plan is this, is that he wants you to think that if you're just good enough, if you just do the right thing, if you just walk the line, if you do enough of this, you're going to be okay. No, not without the sacrifice of Christ. It is only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that puts us in right standing with Jesus, with God himself. Jesus laid his life down so that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Jesus said that there's no other way, no other name given under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, through him. He wants us to forget about the sacrifice. He wants us to forget that Jesus himself, because he accomplished our righteousness, he wants us to forget about that, that we've been set free because he wants you to begin to continue to keep trying to work it all out, work it all out, serve, work, 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 work to earn something that you can't earn. And when you do that over and over and over, do you know where you are? You're back in bondage again. And Jesus has come to set you free from that, free from the law of sin and death so that you might be able to walk in freedom, not in lives that live however I want. No, lives that are bound to Christ. You see, we're all slaves. All of us are slaves. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And it is a dichotomy is a unique thing to realize that you've been set free, but you're chained to Christ. That's the upside kingdom that he has come to give us. And he, the enemy wants us to forget about the sacrifice of Christ. He wants us to forget the idea, the scripture passage, Matthew 6, 24, that if we're going to come after Jesus, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. We lay our lives down. We, you, you realize when you come to Christ, you sacrifice everything else only for him. There's an amen right there somewhere. This is what he's called us to. And the enemy wants us to forget and think that, listen, I can come to Christ and I'll live however I want. I'll go wherever I want. I'll spend my money the way I want. My time is my own. That is not true. Jesus paid a price so that you and I might experience freedom. Even freedom in the midst of the evil, the pain, the suffering of where you are. Uh, Have you heard those testimonies before of men and women who get saved in prison and say, listen, though I am a prisoner locked away, I'm more free than I've ever been. Listen, that's true. That is true. And today, some of you are, you've been set free, but you're walking around like a prisoner. And I want to tell you the good news that Christ has set you free. And he wants you to forget that Christ has set you free. And he wants to bind you up with misery and pain and guilt. And he has set you free from that, brother and sister. 
Number three. Number three. God gives his word to warn his people. I want, I want you to check out this, okay? Daniel is sleeping. He's already had one vision. Two years later, he's sleeping. He has another vision. The Lord God gave him his word. He did not understand his word. And then the Lord God was so gracious that he sent one of his messengers, Gabriel, to explain it to him. In this one, he didn't even have to ask. The Lord God recognized, he is, hey, this servant, he's a little slow right now. We need, to, we need to help him. Gabriel, tell him what it is that this is all about. Do you realize, I mean, I, I forget. I forget that in, in history, it is in recent history that you and I actually have a Bible. That you and I actually have a Bible. Could, if I ask you right now, this is a rhetorical, you don't have to get that. If I ask you right now, can you tell me how many Bibles you have in your home? Could you begin to name how many? Uh, 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 I say name. Well, I got one here, I got one here, I'm counting here, I'm counting here. Let me ask you this how much time do you even spend in one of those? And I'm not trying, I don't want to make sure I hear, I want to make sure I say this correctly. This isn't about guilt. This is about the idea of understanding that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all God desires to meet with us and he loves us so much that he sent his word to us in this day. He has written to you letters and counsel that he desires that you and I read and meet with, not so that we become just smart, but so that we are entering a love relationship with God himself who sent his one and only son so that you and I might be free. And in the midst of where we live today, I keep coming back. Remember, Daniel is in exile. He's 80 years old. All that he has seen, all that he's walked through, and yet the Lord God spoke to him where he was and said, Daniel, you listen, this is coming, but no, I'm telling you it's coming because it's under my control. And wherever you are today, wherever you are today, what you're facing is under control. It's under the control of God. It may be out of your control, but thanks be to God, it's under his. It's, it's passed by him. And his word tells us that no matter what it is, no matter if it's evil dictators, no matter if it's evil politicians, no matter if it's crooked finance people, no matter if it's sin, no matter if it's medical, no matter if it's family relations, it's under his control. And his word will give you strength to stand in the day in which you're standing. And your friends will go, how do you do this? I, I don't know. It's the word of the Lord that strengthens me that gives me what I need. I had somebody ask me not long ago about my study routine and what, how do I study, prepare for message and all those kinds of things. And they were surprised. And I say this, I mean, listen, I, uh, this, they were surprised that like my personal quiet time is not my study time. Listen, my time alone with the Lord is about relationship. My study time for this, believe it or not, is work. It's work to get the word, to learn, to hear. Do you think that I knew the Medo-Persian history? Heck no, I didn't take that class. 
you, you work to get so I can come and give. But I need you to hear me. If I'm not spending time with God in his word, listening and eating, praying before him. For some of you, singing is a great piece of your, your timeline. If you're not in that time, I don't care if it's morning, noon, or evening, whichever it is. If you're not having that time, you're not going to stand in the day in which he's given you. You're not going to do it. So I, I, I urge you, I call you, he's given you his word. He's given it to you. I hope you hear that as one who's encouraging you, calling you, not one who's angry with you. I am passionate about the word and I want you in it. The last thing, number four, is this. The first one was the wicked never win. The strategy of the wicked is the same. Number three, God gives his word to his people. And the last one is this, worry less and work hard. Worry less and work hard. Not, not, uh, listen, we do not work for, to gain anything, but because we've gained it all, we work for him. You get that, don't you? Make sure I'm clear on that. Look, I started with the end, and I'm going to end with the end. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and I went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Here he is, sick, he's tired, he's tired, he's sick, he's in bed for three days. And it says, and then I arose and I went about the king's business. I'm gonna tell you, there are things I see today in the news, things I see in our world that do make me sick to my stomach. There are things that you're experiencing that make me sick to my stomach because I hate the one who, who is destroying your life. I know that the Lord God has brought it, but the evil one, remember, the, the devil is God's devil, right? I hate that. But I, I want you to hear me. There are people who have a tendency to go to their bedroom, shut the shades, pull the cover up, lock the door, and stay. Daniel said, yeah, I was sick. But I, I got to get up and just do what the king has called me to do. Those of you who know me, know me well, I have a saying where that goes something like this. When you don't know what to do, you do the next right thing. You just, listen, Tomorrow's coming. I don't know what it holds, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the next right thing. You're going to do the next right thing. You're going to get before the Father. You're going to open the Word. You're, you're, when you want to scream, you're going to cry out to Him. When you want to cry, you're going to say, Lord, turn my, turn my mourning to dancing. When you want to like, you want to be the ram and you want to ram something, you're going to get on your knees. You're going to do the next right thing. Maybe you've heard of John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was a strong, strong preacher of the word. In fact, John and Charles are instrumental in, uh, I mean, like the amount of hymns and songs that they wrote for the church would fill up multiple hymnals. They were both instrumental in, um, in, in what became known as Methodism. 
study methods and how to, how to study the Word. He's traveling by horseback to his next preaching engagement. And as he comes through one of the towns, uh, someone, one man, sees him and recognizes, that's John Wesley. And he goes out to stop him and talk to him for a few minutes. They have a, a conversation. They have a little bit of a prayer time. And this man asked John Wesley, John, uh, Dr. Wesley, if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth because the Lord Jesus is coming, what would you do? The story goes that he turned on his saddle, he reached into his saddlebag, he pulled out his diary, which was his daily agenda. And he looked at it and he began to read what was on the agenda for the rest of the afternoon and the evening. He read it, what was going on tomorrow. He closed it up, put it back in the saddlebag, and he turned and said, that's what I would do if the Lord Jesus were coming tomorrow. You see, John Wesley was already living in light of the kingdom. He had a kingdom mindset that the Lord's coming He's given me work to do, and what I'm responsible for is the work that he's given me in the day in which he's called me. Church, believer, follower, brother, sister, I want to say this to you. Where you are today, it's time to worry less, keep working for the Lord, keep your head up, keep your knees raw because you're on them. You're calling out. Some of you in here today, you're here and you're going, That's, this all sounds, yeah, great. I'm glad I got to see you. You kept me awake. You moved around a lot. Talk loud. <laughs> Here's what I want to say to you. You've been brought here today, not by a friend, but by the Holy Spirit. He's brought you here so that you might surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you are here today because you're a part of the king's court and you've gotten yourself so weighted down with all kinds of stuff. And today, he's brought you here so that you might get on your knees before him and say, God, I, I, I'm going to worry less. I'm going to stop the fretting. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to remain faithful. God, I, some of you, you need to come, and I want to pray with you. We've got men and women who will pray with you, and we're going to intercede with you and ask the Lord to do great things, even in the midst of the, what you're facing. And then we're going to do the next right thing together. Father, I love you, and I thank you. Thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you that we get to do life together. I thank you, Father, that you're building a church here. You're building a church here that you say the gates of hell will not prevail against. So we're going to stand strong. We love you. We honor you. We magnify you. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things.